So we're in our third week in our Bible series, and um, this week we're going to be talking about reading the Bible uh, constantly, and that's our, our going to be our theme. Last week I was downstairs in Kids Church, and um, and this week Pastor Eric was supposed to be down there, but then he got the flu. Um, so uh, T- Pastor Tim asked me at the end of service last week, he's like, so Craig, now that you had to be downstairs and teach Kids Church, does this mean you're going to teach your preaching style? Because I tend to be the most long-winded of our team to the chagrin of everyone that works downstairs in kids' church. But I told him, no, because when I'm up here, that means Pastor Eric's downstairs, so he'll just have to double prepare. I'm going to pay for that one later. But but anyways, um, as as an aside and as a commercial, um, we do need some help with our kids' ministry area. Uh, We do need some helpers in our nursery, and we need some helpers down in kids' church as well. And that ends that commercial. So this week we're going to continue in our series on the Bible. Uh, today I'm going more with a, a topical message. I'm going to uh, call it my triple A message, my triple A message. And our first A that we're going to look at today is always. First A is always. Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2 reads like this. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The Amplified Bible actually uh, changes the, the second verse a little bit. The Amplified Bible is a, a paraphrase. It adds these little brackets to help words that we may not use um, every day to expand them a little bit. And so the Amplified Bible reads the second verse like this. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, his precepts, his teachings, he habitually meditates day and night. So as I, I, I read this book by uh, David Crowder. Uh, he's uh, a worship leader. Uh, he was the David Crowder band guy. Uh, it's called Praise Habit was the book. And as the title implied, uh, he's talking about creating um, a habit of praise. And so in the book, he was talking about how there's different things that, that he, when the words that people associate with the word habit often because he, he was sitting in Barnes & Noble's writing this one chapter, and he says, as he was writing habit, he kept thinking, he's like, man, I just think bad habit. He's like, I wonder if I'm the only one. So he asked um, several people sitting close to him while he was writing, and almost every person, when they hear the word habit, they associate it with bad habit. And so he was, so he was, what his goal is, his idea was that there could be good habits too. And habits are, are something that it takes, uh, he was doing some research, and I've read this as well, it takes 21 days to create a new habit. Not 21 days in a year, but 21 days consecutively is how you build a habit. You do something over a 21-day period, and then that's something that becomes habitual for you. See, and so this idea that he meditates habitually. Now, meditates. The righteous man ponders the word of God. He does not just hear it and forget it. He thinks about it. Many times when we hear the word meditation, uh, we think about sitting like a pretzel with our hands in front of us. That's not the type of meditation we're talking about here. That type of meditation is, is what's called Eastern, uh, Eastern um, I call it mysticism, but Eastern meditation. And the goal of, of that type of meditation is emptying yourself. The whole goal is to try and empty your mind, empty your soul, everything. But the thing with Christian meditation is completely different. The goal of Christian meditation is not to be empty, but to be full. You try and get as much of God, you're focusing on God, it's the opposite direction. Um, there's a, a book called uh, Celebrations of Discipline by Richard J. Foster. He has an incredible chapter 
on this idea of what Christian meditation really looks like. But as I was thinking about this idea, I was reading, I was like, so what, how can I best describe Christian meditation? And as I was reading, really the best example I came up with is cud, C-U-D, cud. You see, you chew on the Word of God like an animal chews on cud. So I went to Wikipedia to find out more about cud. And I just like saying that word, so I'm going to say it a bunch more. Cud is a portion of food that returns from the rumorant's stomach to the mouth to be chewed for a second time. More accurately, it is a bulbous or semi-degraded food regurgitated from the rectocolorium to the of the remnant, the the ruminant. Sorry, of the ruminant. Cud is produced during the physical digestion process of remuneration. The idiomatic expression chewing one's cud means meditating or pondering. Similar expressions such as he chewed that over for a bit or hey, chew on that likely have the same, same um, they derive from the same thing. Chewing on some cud. That's really how we should treat scripture. When we sit down and we read for ourselves, we really should sit with it and chew on it and chew on it and chew on it and chew on it. Because if you ever watch a cow, he sits there and he chews for a while. Chews for a long time. Why? Because he doesn't chew it just once. He chews it again. He chews it again. And I also learned something about cows and, and other type animals that do this. You ever hear of whenever you reumerate on something, it means you dwell on it? Those types of animals are called reumerators. I was like, whoa, that's cool. But it's that same idea to think over and over and over again. That's what Christian meditation is about. It's about sitting with something for a while. It's about really thinking about it. It's about really digesting it, if you will. And this idea of meditation, meditating on Scripture, really in the Old Testament, we have to understand that when the Old Testament was written, and even when the New Testament was written, we got to think about the time in which it was written. Because until, until about 1440, people didn't have Scripture the way we have Scripture. Now, if I, if I sat here and think about it, I'm going to do a quick count in my head. From my desk, I could look over to my left. I have one, two, three, five. I have six Bibles within reach of my desk at home. Actually, no, I now have seven Bibles within reach of my desk at home. Who here has the Bible app on their phone? Okay, so you have probably, I think, 55 or more Bibles right there. We have the blessing of technology. But when the scripture was written, they would get a portion of it, or they would hear a portion of it, and they would memorize it. And they would go over it again and again and again and again and again. Think about it this way. Whenever I leave my house, I do what I refer to as my three-pocket tap. I check for my wallet, I check for my cell phone, and I check for my keys. And now I added, I, I squeeze my fingers. Because I got this thing here now, it's a ring, and I always want to make sure I got it. So I do tap, 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 squeeze. Okay, we're good. <laughs> and then I leave. Or how many people do this? You, you're like, someone tells you, in this instance, Amy tells me, hey, there's a couple things we need from the store. So what do I do? I repeat them over and over and over again in my head. And I keep repeating them and repeating them. So whenever I go to the grocery store, I walk in, and after I fight my way through the, the fruit and veggie aisle, because... Well, you just got to fight through that to get to the good stuff. Fruits and vegetables are good for you. Eat them. 
But you go in, like, for instance, like I, this one day I was uh, tasked with getting half and half because I needed it for coffee. Well, to get to the half and half, you have to pass by the Oreos. <laughs> it, they just happened to be on sale one day. I ended up coming home with a half gallon of milk and Oreos. I forgot everything else I was supposed to get. I did get a half and half, but, but I got Oreos. You go over something head and you're over and over and over again. You repeat it, you repeat it, you repeat it. That's this idea of always. When we read scripture, there should be this idea that we want to do this. So meditation, the, the, the righteous man, this is something they do. They go over it again and again and again. Now my second A is adept. My second A is adept. There was this man named uh, Riggengren. He says this, the zealous study of the law and when we hear the law, we're talking about scripture, which results in being filled with the will of Yahweh and doing of his commandments. John 8, 31 reads like this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Abide. This word here, again, this word abide, it isn't our A for this, but the idea of abide means always. But I want to talk about being adept. And I want to look at the word disciples because I think really a great way to describe what a disciple is, is a disciplined learner. To be a disciple means you have to be disciplined. And um, so I read somewhere that there's this, um, and there's some dispute about this time, but it takes 10,000 hours to be the master of something. Now there's some dispute about the exact hours because some people are blessed with skills that I'm not. Like I could sit down and strum a guitar for 10,000 hours, and it's still gonna sound bad. My hands are gonna be really sore, but it's, I wouldn't have mastered it. So I, I warned before that I was gonna ask Dan and Tyler uh, a music question. And when I was preparing for that, Dan, um, Dan said that he had a response about the, the secret note that, that David played. What were you telling me about the secret note, Dan? Oh, I thought you said you did know what it was. Oh, jeez. I say that. He brought that up as a joke when I was saying it. I'm like, fine, I'm talking about it again. Um, but here, this is my real question. Dan is in a worship band called Still, and Dan's been in how many bands since you've started playing guitar? Okay, so he's been, he's been on more than three, less than five. So some of you guys catch on some of this stuff in a moment. So I asked Dan earlier, I was like, when you started to learn how to play guitar, did you set out to sit and say, I'm going to practice for 10,000 hours? Yeah. All right, and then I asked a follow-up question. When you guys get ready to go play a show, how much do you guys practice? Tyler, how long have you been playing guitar? No, come on. I'm an old man. I'm, all right, so come on. All right, you've been playing guitar for 35 years. When you, you've been in what? How many bands? You've been in four bands as well. Your current band, when you guys set out to, because you guys have done a couple bigger shows and you guys were on the radio. When you guys go on the radio, how long do you guys prepare for that?
So these guys here, which I think you all agree, they do a pretty decent job playing the guitar. It's not me up here strumming, all right? These guys have families, they have jobs, and they have bands. And they, to master that, they have to find time in their week to practice. Because they don't want to go up on stage and have it sound bad. I mean, we all have heard sound systems go wonky. We've all experienced that, that crazy buzz or like Christmas Eve when there's a loud pop and no one knows exactly what's going on and we're just like, holy crap, you know. But what, where am I going with this? To master something means you have to be intentional about it. These guys that in their band, they just don't show up on the day of their performance and say, all right, so we're going to play this song, this song, and this song, and half of them no one has ever heard of before. It's not how it works. There's an intentionality. There's a, you set out to do it. And that's really what a disciple does. And as I was thinking about this idea of being a disciplined learner, I, I remembered this passage that I'd read in Deuteronomy back in the day. And it talks about the preparations for the king. And so in Deuteronomy, no, Moses is writing down stuff for the, in the law, and he says, he gives examples of what the king is supposed to do. And one of the things the king is supposed to do is actually sit down and write the entire book of the law. Now remember, there's no print press at this point. This man is sitting with a scroll and writing from one scroll to his own scroll to have his own copy of the law. Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 through 20 read like this. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the uh, Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord by his, by, fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may be lifted above, not be lifted above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Did you see some things there? Not only is he supposed to read it or write it in its entirety, he's supposed to be reading it as well. There's a threefold purpose that we see here. And so result from his and it, the result of doing these three things, he's gonna end up having a long kingdom. He's supposed to learn to serve the Lord. And he's going to, by following, carefully following the words and laws and its decrees. It's going to help him remember to keep on the same level of those, his brothers and sisters, that he is in charge of. Though he's in charge of them, he needs also to remember that he's not to lord that over them. He's supposed to remember that when it comes to, in the face of God, in the sight of God, he's, while he's responsible, he's still just like they are. You know, I, I actually couldn't find it, and I actually looked, um, I just spent some time looking for this. I couldn't find a, a passage where it talks directly about any king sitting down and doing this. I couldn't find somewhere where it talks about them sitting down and writing from scroll to scroll the words. And, and, I, and this is me putting some conjecture here, and I do apologize for that. I try not to. But I really don't think anyone really succeeded in that. And I think that, why, that way because there's a couple times in Scripture where a king comes in and he's referred to as a godly king and someone in his court finds the scrolls. They find them. It's not that they were there. They find them. 
And then they read them in front of the people, and the people are like, oh my gosh, we haven't heard this stuff. Or if the king had spent the time to write out the scripture as he was supposed to, we wouldn't be, or they wouldn't be, I guess I should say, in the situation. God wanted every king to be a scribe. I, uh, I read an article uh, in The Guardian, and it reported that a man took four years to completely rewrite the King James Bible by hand. He would take between eight hours, or between six hours and 14 hours a day to write it out longhand. Now, I saw pictures of it. This man wrote in a, in a, a very uh, calligraphy style of writing, uh, and the man was ill, so he was able to give six to 14 hours a day to do that. But this was something he set out to do, and it, it looked extremely picturesque. But what I'm trying to say is, writing out scripture, it isn't a very quick project. When I first started preaching, uh, I write all my messages um, manuscript, manuscript style. So um, it just helps me put my thoughts down on paper so I can work, work through it multiple times. And I know when I first started to do that, how long it would take me to write out. Like, I just did that Deuteronomy passage that's on the screen. There's a lot of words there. And my handwriting is very bad. So if I want to read it, I have to really concentrate and really put the time in. I had a friend in, um, in college. We had a uh, philosophy class, Intro to Philosophy. And in our Intro to Philosophy class, we had a glossary that the professor gave us. It had a couple hundred words in it. And we would be tested on that glossary four separate times. And the test was kind of diabolical. It was only 25 questions and you had four tries to pass it. And the, same, the, the test was never the same twice. So out of several hundred words, you had 25 words, and you had four chances to pass. Yeah, that wasn't fun. So he decided to set out to memorize the glossary by rewriting the glossary by hand multiple times. I thought he was crazy. I still think he's crazy. I just made flashcards. <laughs> but here's the thing. When you write something, you have to think about the words you're putting down. I wrote Amy a card this year, and this isn't Craig's all kind and cute. It was a very, very silly poem for her Christmas card because that's what I do. I had to write that thing out before I wrote it on the card. Why? Because I didn't want to waste the card. <laughs> I keep talking about this idea because I had to think about the words that I was putting down on the paper. And when the, that's what God was trying to get about. And I get this idea that we need to be masters of this. Philippians 4.8 reads like this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any, any excellence, if there is anything worth of, worthy of praise, think about these things. There's a term called giggo, garbage in, garbage out. There, it's, its application is multiple places, but I think, I think it originated in coding, in which when you're coding, um, computer coding, if you put a garbage line of code in there, you're going to get garbage coming out. And people have applied it to multiple things. Like, for instance, nutrition. If you eat nothing but garbage, you're going to get garbage out. It's just how it works. Whatever is noble whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, think on these things. 
And I want to apply that to idea to being a master of something, because if we sit there and we study Scripture over and over and over again, we're trying to master Scripture. If these things are, are lovely. These things are noble. These things will help us put good things in and get good things out. See, I changed it there. Garbage in, garbage out to good things in, good things out. Go ahead and listen again. It's good. Um, so my last A is this, application, application. Today is my argument for leading a more disciplined approach to the Bible. And more importantly, a more disciplined approach to your relationship with Jesus. That's really what this comes down to. When we talk about reading the Bible constantly, it's more about your life with Jesus than it is with just the words on a book. John 8, verses 31 through 32. I read verse 31 before, but I want to add 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The freedom Jesus spoke about doesn't come from just an academic pursuit of truth. There's a lot of things that I find fascinating that I read and I study about. Uh, my dad loves to sit and read. That's what he does. So for Christmas and for his birthday, and I think about this specifically because I was buying him his birthday gift um, last night, and as I was looking through the books, I came across the World Almanac, things like this thick, and I'm like, he wouldn't read that in two sittings because that's what my dad does. He sits down and kills a book. And as I was leafing through it, I didn't buy it for him, so he doesn't watch this live, so I don't got to worry about spoiling anything. I was like, oh, I got to get him this. You know, there's no way he'll finish it. But that's just academic. The World Almanac is just academic information. It really gives you just a surface level of understanding. So we need to dig in. And this freedom that Jesus spoke about, it's so much more. It's, it's, and it ties directly to discipline. While he's not a theologian, I'm going to quote Jocko Willen. And he says this about discipline equals freedom. And it's actually a major theme in one of his books. And this is his reasoning behind it. But the only way to get to a place of freedom is through discipline. If you want financial freedom, you have to be financially disciplined. If you want more free time, you have to follow a more disciplined time management system. You also have to have the discipline to say no to things that eat up your time with no payback. Things like the random YouTube video, the clickbait on the internet, and even events that you agree to attend, but you know you won't want to be there. Discipline equals freedom. Applies to every aspect of life. If you want more freedom, get more discipline. Discipline's rough. I'm going to tell you right now, that's, that's not something I'm going to stand up here and be like, I am the most disciplined person in the world. No. You hand me a pint of Ben and Jerry's, I'm going to eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's. It may say three servings on the side. No. No, it's not. Discipline. It's hard. But I agree with Jock, what Jocko says. If we live a more disciplined life, we'll find more freedom. Dave Ramsey, we talk about him on and off throughout the year. He, uh, he talks about financial, finding financial peace. And what does he says? If you don't tell your money where to go, you're going to wonder where it went. It applies. We'll find freedom when we're disciplined. And to be a disciple, you're a disciplined learner. 
And that's really what we're being called to do. The type of freedom that we want uh, freedom from when it comes to the spiritual life is the freedom from sin. Jesus says in John 10.10, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to give us life. And this idea of of how do we have a full life, well, in Psalm uh, 119, the psalmist talks about that I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, speaking of God. And then Paul writes in Romans 12 too, he writes this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by the testing that you will discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. My challenge to you today is spend some time with the word. As I was doing this, this I looked up real quick, um, I found real fast, I typed in Bible study plans, and there's this one page that had, um, and I chose just 10 examples. There's the five day of the week. There's the five by five by five. There's a chronological. There's every word of the Bible. There's the historical. There's the in-depth chapter study. There's the Professor Grant Horner's Bible reading system, the Robert McRae McChay Bible reading system, the legacy plan, the two-year Bible reading plan. And most of you said that you have the Bible app on your phone, there's a thing on there called plans. I have 67 plans saved that, I'm, that my goal is to read. And that's not even scratching the surface of the Bible study plans they have on there. Read the Bible constantly. Now, some of you might think that reading the Bible every day is not something you can do. And I get that. We're all busy. But things that are important to us, we make time for. Do you see what I did there? Time to there. We make time for things that's important to us. We really do. If getting healthy is important to you, you're going to make time to exercise. If spending, if a person is important to you, you're going to make time to spend time with them. If reading the scripture is important to you, you're going to make time to do it. And this is my challenge to you. I'm not saying that, that go home and tomorrow start reading in the book of Genesis with the goal of reading through the book of Revelation in a week. Uh, that's unrealistic. Or go home and say, tomorrow I'm going to read the Bible for four hours. It's unrealistic. There's this really awesome reading plan out there. Um, it's actually the five-day-a-week reading plan. And it's built with the idea that you read Monday through Friday and Saturday and Sunday you either go back and reread a passage or you catch up. Too often times we make our spiritual disciplines, we end up worshiping the discipline rather than what the discipline is supposed to be pointing us towards. We start doing a discipline and then the discipline itself becomes everything. There's this, I'm going to close with a, a quote today, but I want to read one more piece of scripture. It's from Psalm 19. Verses 17 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even more fine, even more fine gold sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. 
Moreover, by them your servant warned is keeping them. There is great reward. Can you come up and play real fast? Can we just leave this scripture up during communion today, please? So we're going to be closing the, the, our message here today. And we're going to be going into a time of communion. And communion is a moment for us to celebrate the gift that Jesus gave by dying on the cross and then raising again. In it, we find forgiveness of our sins and we have the hope of heaven. So I want to encourage you to really start to enjoy Scripture. Sometimes we think of Scripture as something that's boring and mundane. And yes, reading gene genealogies can be quite dry. But still, Scripture revives the soul because we get time to spend with Him. We get moments where we see Scripture connect to Scripture. Just like when I was thinking about that, the one point I made, and I was like, when we find freedom, and when freedom we have life, and we have life by learning the words so we don't sin, and then Paul echoes it all by saying, don't be conformed to this world, but be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Reading Scripture will help transform you.